love having those little ones share their scriptures with us. It's great. Parents, keep after that. That's a great quality that you've instilled in your children to do that. So um, I have this habit. I can't hardly start preaching without first doing a proverb. I love the book of Proverbs, and I always pick one from the chapter that's equal to the date. Today's the 12th. I chose chapter 12, verse 14. Some speak rashly like the cutting of a sword, but what the wise say promotes healing. That's a great one. The resurrection of Jesus is the most important event in human history. You know, what might surprise you about it is that, uh, is that that event has nothing to do with a religion, with religion. You know, it, it usually brings to mind a picture of a tomb. And um, here's a photo of, uh, of a tomb um, that's a couple of thousand years old. It's um, located in, in Israel today. These are not altogether uncommon. Um, you can see, if you're looking at the picture, you can see there's a road right, right nearby. You see a fog line painted in there. And um, it's kind of rare. This one's a little bit more rare because it also has the stone in front of it because over the years, people would steal the stone. It's actually kind of, of, of rare to find one that still has the stone in place, though. Um, there's a trough that's actually in front of the tomb, and the stone would actually roll downhill. When, after they would place the body inside, they would roll it down and would kind of seal the tomb. It's very, very easy to seal the tomb. You just roll the stone in. It's very, very difficult to open one up. It would actually take horses. It would require quite a lot of strength. When we see a tomb like this along the roadside, you know, we don't have those here, but um, it kind of affects our thinking, this, this romanticized, almost fairy tale uh, consideration of Jesus' resurrection becomes a little bit more historical. Um, it's, it's along the roadside, and here it sits, this tomb, and this isn't the tomb of Jesus, but it's like it. But there it is, alongside the road. There's weeds growing around it. It's this hand-hewn cave. This is how they buried people. And it reminds us of, uh, that the story of Easter is um, about something that actually happened. It's about an event. At Easter, we don't celebrate uh, a teacher. We don't celebrate teachings. We don't, we don't celebrate religion. We don't celebrate philosophy. Maybe this is new information to you. On Easter, we celebrate an event that actually happened in history. We believe that a man came out of a tomb which means that Easter goes way, way, way beyond religion. There's nothing religious really about Easter. Now, maybe if you studied um, faith or religion in school, um, different religions, you were taught that religions generally sprang up in this gap between what was unexplainable and what was undeniable. You see something that's absolutely there right in front of your eyes, but you can't explain it. Religions, that's kind of fertile ground for religion. And... Um, the, you know, like the seasons would change. It's undeniable, but um, what causes those changes? And, um, you know, the weather would change. That's undeniable. What caused those changes? Crops would grow. Crops would die. Why? Um, some seasons locusts would come. Other seasons they wouldn't come. Why? It's undeniable those things were going on. And the why, 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 we didn't, people didn't understand. These unexplained events would happen. And in that gap between what was undeniable and unexplainable, Religions were born. Because of, because of that, religion is an attempt to explain the unexplainable. Then over time, science would kind of dismantle entire religious beliefs. You know. So you mean that when the lightning strikes, that's not Zeus being angry? 
no, no, it's actually updrafts and charged particles and blah, blah, blah. Oh, so you mean to tell me that's not Zeus? No, it's just a weather system. Or, you know, science began to dismantle religions because religion is an attempt to explain the unexplainable. You know, we discovered germs. Well, you mean she's not demon-possessed? No, no, she's just, she's just got a germ. Oh, he's, he's, he's not under a curse? We don't have to find a witch doctor to reverse that curse? No, no, he just needs some antibiotics. He's going to be just fine. Uh-oh. People would get sick. It was undeniable, but it was unexplainable. And big questions like, what happens after you die? Those are fertile, fertile soil for religion. So religion would pop up and uh, where these un unanswered questions were, and it's, and it's because what's true about me and it's true about you, it's true about all of us, and pretty much all people since the beginning of the time, we don't like the answer. We don't know. It's just a mystery. We don't like that answer. If you go to the doctor and he says, yeah, it's, that's not good, don't know what it is, don't know wh what's causing that, you know, what you're going to do is you're going to go find another doctor because we just don't like the I don't know answer. And sometimes people will go to some um, crazy sources for answers. It, it might be the goofiest, most ridiculous, even superstitious answer, but we got to know. We got to know. And some religious beliefs are really pretty goofy. I mean, um, you consider that even in our own part of the country, we have people who sit out in the field, literally sit out in the field and hum, expecting to get enlightenment. It's just the, the reason people hold on to these things is because they want an answer. They want an explanation. And that motivation drives religion. But Easter is not about trying to explain the unexplainable or answer the unanswerable. Easter comes from the first century. The Jews weren't looking for answers or explanations. They already had answers to the unanswerable. They already had explanations for the, unex uh, the, the, the uh, unexplainable. Easter is not an attempt to answer questions. It's not an attempt to explain something. Easter is about something that happened. Easter is about an event, which means Easter isn't really religious at all. Now, Christianity was birthed um, not in a movement um, around somebody's teaching. It was birthed not as an answer to questions that had, people had been asking for for generations. It, it was not because people decided, you know, we need a different explanation than the one we've got now or for something. You know, there's none of that associated with the birth of Christianity. It was born... The day something happened in history on the earth. In a city, <laughs> you can go visit today. Another thing that's so unusual about Easter and the resurrection is that nobody was expecting there to be a resurrection. Nobody was out at the tomb counting 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. Here he comes. Nobody was there thinking that. And even the stories that were about the resurrection, written by his followers. You know, they, here's what they said about themselves. They said, after Jesus died, we scattered. We lost faith. We lost hope. You know, seeing a photo like of that tomb, you know, we can see that it was not just this casual endeavor to move that, that stone, you know. And we know it was not just a few women saying, hey, let's just move the stone inside and go see what's going on in there. It's like, no. And when the disciples had heard that the stone was moved. Scriptures says in Luke chapter 20, it says they didn't believe them. Their reaction was, what? You know, they were, they were amazed at what had happened, and they were not expecting this. 
if they were expecting it, you know, according to today's marketing, you'd, they'd be thinking, well, they would have formed a plan. Oh, yeah, we knew it all along. Or, you know, maybe they would have had T-shirts and bumper stickers. You know, I, he rose and wise men still, I, who knows? I mean, but they were not expecting it. Even though Jesus had told them that he, was, he would rise, they hadn't really expected it. And by their own declaration, they, 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 um, they had lost their faith. Now, in the, Old in the times of the Old Testament and up to and including when uh, Jesus' days, many Jews believed that death was the end. They'd been taught that you were born, you lived to God's glory, and when you died, that was it. Nobody was expecting a resurrection, not even his closest followers. And when they saw that empty tomb, they still didn't know what happened until Jesus actually physically appeared to them. And then everything changed. These these kind of cowardly uh, men who were afraid for their lives, who had been hiding in homes trying to decide what to do, suddenly become these bold, bold, <laughs> really bold spokespeople. And their message, the message that they started proclaiming did not center on the teachings of Jesus. It didn't center on the moral um, examples of Jesus or even on the miracles of Jesus. Their message centered on the resurrection of Jesus. And they would not shut up about it. <laughs> And the reason Christianity kind of exploded out of the first century and the reason that you and I know about it today is, be, is not because of what Jesus taught. It's because three days after he was crucified, he rose from the dead. <laughs> he got up out of that tomb. And the book of Acts talks about what happened after the resurrection. Listen to the detail in this passage because this is not written like a fairy tale. It's not written like a fable. This was written by people who were actually in the vicinity when these very things were happening. Okay, so here we are in Acts chapter 3, just after this, just after the resurrection. Um, verse 1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. That was the name of the gate, Beautiful. Okay, and these, cause he, he's, this is going on, and the people hearing this now are saying, oh, sure, yeah, gate Beautiful. I know, I know where that is. I've been there. Where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked, for them, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. Hey, hey, he wanted their attention. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something. Verse 6, then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. <laughs> now, anybody walking by that may have overheard this conversation, when they heard the name Jesus of Nazareth, they knew what Peter and John were talking about. You know, oh, oh yeah, 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 that, that, the guy that got crucified. It was a big storm that day, and there was some thunder, and, you know, this, th this is not an unknown name to them. They, they know who Jesus is. And this is now going on within walking distance to where all of the events surrounding the crucifixion and the resurrection have taken place. Verse 7. Taking him by the right hand, look at the detail, by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. <laughs> making a scene. That was kind of unusual in the temple hour during this time of the day. Well, I guess maybe any time walking and jumping in praising God in the middle of the temple. Verse 9, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. Suddenly, this prayer time's interrupted. Hey, 
Isn't that the same guy we see out at the gate every day, week after week? And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Verse 11. Now, while the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Now, there's another detail. This is a real place. This has really happened. This is what the author is saying, you know, check it out for yourself. These are places you can go visit. Verse 12. When Peter saw this, he said to them, now this crowd's gathering, men of Israel, why does it surprise you? Why do you stare at us if by stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, godliness we had made this man walk? Now, Peter reaches back to what these people listening would know as Jews since they were little boys and little girls. Um, and he says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers. Now, this isn't something new. This is some new religion. This is the same God you already know. And he connects Jesus with the same God these people had worshipped their whole life. You know, and I wonder now what we would maybe expect Peter to say. Maybe he'd say, you know, Jesus taught us love your neighbor and, and love your enemy. He could have done that. He could have said, blessed are the peacemakers. You know, he could have gone a hundred different directions, but he didn't do any of that. He goes right to the event. <laughs> That's this make it or break it for everything that they believe. And he just, he just mashes down on the throttle. Here we go. Um, he said, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And don't miss this next part, because it's really important. We're witnesses of this. <laughs> Here's Peter and John's message. We don't simply believe something. We saw something. We aren't simply followers of Jesus. We're witnesses. We saw his resurrection. We're not just following what he taught. We're not just moved by his moral example. We follow Jesus. We, we believe in Jesus because we saw him die. We visited the tomb. We saw him living again. <laughs> He's risen from the dead. You want to know what we're talking about? He says, we're, 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 we're all about a risen Savior. And this whole conversation is taking place within walking distance of Calvary. It, it, it's, within, uh, it's, it's within walking distance of the tomb. It's within days of, after the events take place. The same Peter and John who had cowered in fear and, you know, after Jesus was crucified, and suddenly now there's this courage, this, this new boldness. And this, this boldness is not centered around the personality of Jesus or even his teachings. It's centered around the event we celebrate as Easter. And they're not trying to explain the unexplainable. They're not trying to answer the unanswerable. They're not trying to start a new religion. They clearly tie him back to the same God that the Jews have been worshiping for centuries. And something has happened that's changed everything. He's risen from the dead. The story continues. Later that same day, Acts chapter 4, verse 1. The priests... And the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, the Sadducees were a sect that believed that once you die, that's it. They came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They wanted the disciples to be quiet about that. You know, they don't want, don't, don't be talking about the resurrection. Hey, hey, hey Jesus taught about prayer. Um, he taught about taxes. Do that one. 
<laughs> you know, tell the story he told about the son who left um, and, and left home. But, 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 but they, they would not be led off of their topic. It's not the point. The point is the resurrection. Verse 3, they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message, what message? The message of the resurrection. Many who heard the resurrection believed, and the number of men, this would just be the number of men, it doesn't count the women and the children present too, just the number of men grew to about 5,000. That doesn't happen just because people are persuasive. That's because the Holy Spirit is moving among people. And that happens today. The Holy Spirit moves among people today too. Do you know why Christianity was catapulted out of the first century? It's not just because of the teachings of Jesus. It's because in Jerusalem, in walking distance of the events themselves, thousands of Jewish people including those responsible, some of the people responsible for the conviction of Jesus, they believed. And they didn't believe because of his teachings. They believed he actually rose from the dead and they witnessed it. They knew down to their core that Jesus is the Savior. He's the Messiah. And that's powerful because that actually explains something that is unexplainable. It has nothing to do with religion and everything to do with history. Why are we here 2,000 years later celebrating this event? Why are we here 2,000 years later changed by the Spirit of God? It's not simply because Jesus came from God. It's, it's not simply because he was a wonderful teacher or, or because he taught this life-changing truth. Other people had done that. It's because Jesus rose from the dead. When this story concludes, it goes like this. Verse 5, the next day the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Now listen to the details again. It's, as if, it's almost as if the authors are saying, hey, hey, check this out. Check it out, you know. In fact, you can Google these names. These are real people. Verse 6, Annas, the high priest, was there. And so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Now, when they ask by what name or power, they're talking about the healing of the lame man. They, they don't want to talk about what, you know, what uh, Peter and John are talking about. They, they don't want to talk about that. They're saying, we want to know if the miracle you performed was an appropriate miracle. <laughs> so the disciples had done this random act of kindness, a pretty major one. And these guys are trying to shift the attention, to move the conversation, change the topic from resurrection. You know, what, whose power did you leverage for this random act of kindness. Um, and what'd you do? How'd you pull, that off? pull this off? Verse eight, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, which means the Holy Spirit was saying, okay, here, you, here we go. Follow my lead, son. Um, filled with the Spirit said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, don't you love this? And, and are asked how he was healed. In other words, if the focus of our conversation now is this random act of kindness and you want to know how he did a random act of kindness so you can get in on it, you know, if this whole, if this whole conversation is about, if, if the reason we spent the night in jail is because of a random act of kindness, let's explain to you, let us let's tell you exactly how this happened. Verse 10, and know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by, this, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom, by the way, 
You crucified. Have we covered that? <laughs> but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. At the risk of their life and their liberty and their reputation, they wouldn't stop talking about not the wonderful things that Jesus taught, but his resurrection from the grave. And their point, other than something that happened in history, their point, for those of you who um, maybe you get so frustrated with us Christians because we're narrow or um, we're not content to when we pray to just say in the name of God, we, 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 we keep declaring the name of Jesus. Um, and so you think we're intolerant, which isn't really our issue. And you think that we're angry. We're not really angry, although... There are some angry Christians. It's not all of us. It's not most of us. But for those of you who think that we're just too narrow and why can't we be more open-minded, here's why. Verse 17, salvation, this is, the, this is they're saying, is found in no one else. That's so narrow. Hold on. Peter says, Peter's not done. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. He's saying, here's the deal. We're not going to clam up about Jesus. We're not going to stop talking about the resurrection. The reason we keep bringing this up is because no one has ever done this before. You know, if you can come up with a list of other people who um, have predicted their own death and their own resurrection and then actually pulled it off, well, then we have something else to talk about about how to get to heaven besides Jesus. But until that happens... Until that happens, you know. And these rulers and elders and teachers of the law are now grappling with the same choices that we all have today. And the outcome of that choice has eternal effect. What if your eyes and he was just
what if, what if Jesus is who he says he is? You and I need to be careful about, you know, who gets our faith because we'd like to resurrect. I, I mean, I'd like to know, know, and know in my soul what's going to happen after. I want to see my loved ones off into eternity. I would like confidence in what I believe about God in heaven. And no one else has ever brought us that kind of confidence. No one else has ever been, been able to predict their own death and their own resurrection except Jesus. So there really is no other name. There's no other name under heaven and earth by which we can have confidence in our relationship with God other than Jesus. He didn't only come to save us, but to prove his power and his authority through his death and his resurrection. The reasons that Peter and John can't stop talking about Jesus is he's one of a kind. He's, he's in a category of his own. There's no other name which, which brings with it the weight, the gravity, the promise, the assurance other than the name Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's why those who had been cowering with fear suddenly found this new boldness and, and, and they come into the epicenter of Jerusalem and proclaim that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And this is how the whole thing ends, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were these unschooled, ordinary men, like you and me, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And they were amazed with the boldness and their courage. That's why the resurrection is such a big deal. That's why Easter is not about religion. It's about an event, an event that changed everything. And here's the best part for, for you, for me personally, for, you know, did you know that the same invitation that Peter and John offered to this crowd in the temple 2,000 years ago, this very same invitation that 5,000 men heard and responded to by saying, yes, we believe that Jesus Christ is, is, is the Son of God and, and he rose from the dead. That that very same invitation has, that's been extended for over 2,000 years by preachers and missionaries and, and by fathers to their children and mothers to their children and by bosses to their employees and by employees to their bosses. Because this event, this, this, this resurrection confirms that he didn't simply have his life taken. He gave it away and he laid it down not for his own sin, but for my sin and for yours. Anybody can make religious claims. Anybody can make spiritual promises. But only when someone raises from the dead can they actually confirm they have authority over life. Life now and life after we die. Life forever. And so every Easter... Our we, we end our celebration and our service by doing the only thing that we can think of um, to do, that is, and that is to give people who have never, ever embraced the name of Jesus to, to, for, to people who have never allowed their faith to come around his name and to come around his teachings and to come around his resurrection. Give those people an opportunity to do that and to embrace eternal life. Because... We believe, as narrow and as exclusive as it is, that there is no other name under heaven by which a person can gain assurance of their relationship, of their connection with God.
There's no other name under heaven by which you can and by which you must be saved. So what I want to do right now is give you an opportunity to transfer your trust, give you an opportunity to say, I'm no longer going to be trusting in my goodness to get me to God. I'm no longer going to be trusting in my church attendance or um, attending mass or giving or prayers, my, my intentions. I'm not going to trust in those. I'm going to transfer all of my trust to one simple name, one simple person, and that's Jesus. There's nothing religious about Easter because Easter is about an event that actually happened in this world so that those who live in this world can have eternal life. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to lead you in prayer. And maybe you've never prayed a prayer like this before, um, but if, as I was talking about this, and in this moment, if there's something in your soul that's just kind of going, oh, yes, that is the Holy Spirit drawing you in. Scripture says that none can come unless the Spirit, the Father draws him. That's happening. Don't reject that. No one knows what tomorrow may hold. And um, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. So I'm going to lead you in prayer. And you can pray it silently or you can, you know, you can change the words if you need to or you can pray it out loud like some people do. But just let me lead you in prayer. Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus is your son. I believe that when he died, he died for the sins of the world and I believe he died for my sins. I receive him as my savior. I transfer all of my trust to him, all of my confidence to him. I'm no longer trusting in my background or my attendance or my prayers. I trust in Jesus alone to save me. Lord, forgive me of my sin. Receive me into your family. Thank you for the assurances of your love for me that lasts forever. In Jesus' name.